Let's pray together. Father, do a work in us today that we cannot do ourselves. Cause our eyes to see how majestic and awesome You are. Turn our hearts toward Your Son. Help us to treasure Jesus. May He be everything to us. Strip away our love for this world. Take away the desire to please ourselves. Remove the beliefs that can find happiness in anything apart from You. Satisfy us. May Your covenant love be enough for us. May Your love pour over us like a torrential rain that soaks every fiber of our being. May we see Your love given through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lift our gaze upon Him in the wonders of Your majesty. May Your name be hallowed in our church. May Your kingdom come and Your will be done in our church and in our lives as it is in heaven. May this be our first and ultimate desire before anything else. Give us a consuming passion for You and Your glory. Father, as You do it for us, we pray that You'll do it for the 213,000 Bedouin pheasant of Libya. Father, we pray that You will call a people to reach out to them and share the good news of Jesus Christ. That You will raise up brothers and establish churches among the Bedouin pheasant of Libya, Father. That You will grow strong churches, men and women who are bold in the Gospel proclamation. That love for You will just ooze out of them, Father, and non-believers will see their changed lives and see what the Gospel's created. And may You save many of them, Father. May that precious people come to know our Savior, Jesus. Father, we pray for Pastor Rob Stevens of Pastor of Alethia College Park Church. Father, You know the struggles and the hard work that lies before Him. Father, I pray that You will be with His family, that they will share their faith with their neighbors, that You will strengthen their family as they do that, that their joy will be not in what they do, but simply in You and what they have received. They will look to You and love and joy and peace will overflow, Father. Lord, we pray for their newly installed elders, that You will strengthen those men, that You'll give them wisdom and discernment, that they will be role models, that they will shepherd the people, that they will seek to serve and to love and to care. Father, we pray that the church's growth will be in their faith, Father, in You, that they will have a deeper sense of assured hope in Jesus Christ. Help them to remain pure and to do the good works of the Gospel. Father, we pray for our friends serving in Pioneers USA missions, friends who are serving in places we can't even talk about, Father. We pray that You will sustain them, that You will strengthen them, that their joy will be in You no matter what they're facing, no matter where they are. Father, because of You, they have forsaken family and friends. They have left all that's familiar. But Father, may You be familiar. Wherever they go, may they sense Your presence and may they be at home. Strengthen their ministry, we pray, Father. Lord, we also pray for Hanover Baptist Church right here in King George. 
We pray for Pastor Cruikshank that you will help him to preach boldly today the gospel of Jesus Christ and that his words will not fall on deaf ears, but you'll strengthen that body. And Lord, we pray for the other churches here in the county that we all will be gospel-centered in our service, that we will be God-honoring in our worship, and we will be Christ-loving in how we live. And may our neighbors see it and come to know the joy of our salvation. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you'll take your Bible and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're looking at verses 12 through 20 this morning. It's on page 961 in the church Bible, and if you have not already grabbed one, please feel free to get up and grab one now off the back cart. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Some of you may have noticed that we ended last week's service with the resurrection hymn. And we began this week with the same hymn. We began with the resurrection hymn again. There's a reason why we've done that. My hope is that the resurrection will become more precious and dear to you this morning. Once you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please stand with me as I read God's Word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God, He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Amen. You may be seated. Father, make us hungry for your Son, Jesus. Amen. Yesterday, I spent the day watching Gunner play flag football. For a number of us here this morning, this is what our springtime consists of. Our kids involved in spring sports. So it is with a lot of families in the community. Gunner's team had a double header playing at the high school football field, and Christian and the girls went to Stafford for their soccer game. So Kalia and I dropped Gunner off for pregame warm-ups, then I parked the car. We grabbed our things and went to the bleachers, and we were there for three hours. Lots of time. I was able to say hi to folks that I know and talk to them for a little bit. Before Gunner played, there were other games going on. It was a beautiful day yesterday. Everyone seemed to be in really good spirits, having a good time. As I was enjoying the day watching other parents cheer their kids on, I started thinking, how many people know that this is not all there is? 
As people walked by, I could hear little tidbits of what they were talking about. Everything I heard was about temporary things. There had to have been at least several hundred people there. How many of them truly know that life is not about what we can take from this life? It's about what we receive in this life. Then I started thinking about my life. I started thinking about this church. Asking myself, am I living? Are we living so focused on Christ and the advance of His kingdom that the gospel of Christ is shown to be the true reality of life? As followers of Christ, we don't focus on what is seen, but we look to the unseen. Because what's seen is temporary and the unseen is eternal. So are you living as if the gospel is of first importance like we learned last week? Is the gospel so clear to you and you're living so focused for Christ that the reality of the effects of the gospel is seen to those around you? There are eternal consequences from this life. Do people we know understand that God's judgment is coming and His grace is real? Its effects being radically seen in your life. Wherever you stand, the gospel is seen and it's proclaimed. You're holding fast to the word preached to you and you're a personal witness to the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Most people today have no real concept of God. They have no desire for spiritual things. A recent survey has shown that only one in five Americans today believe in a deity. That's not even about true faith. Just accepting that something bigger than us exists. One in five. Most people are living as if there is no eternal judgment. There are no consequences to this life. They are working for what they love and they love what they get. They are consumed with all the temporary things in this life. They have made up their own version of good news and it's so fragile and fleeting. They have no clue that real living is communion with Christ, having peace with God and our cup overflowing with His joy and hope and fellowship in Christ. Paul says in Romans that ungodliness which is what this is when you focus on all temporary things, ungodliness leads to unrighteousness. It doesn't matter how well your life is going today if you are unrighteous before God. What these people need is the gospel. What our neighbors need is the gospel. What we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ. They need us to be bold in the truth. They need to hear the good news of God's grace given through Jesus. Only Jesus is righteous. 
and in Him we become righteous. We need to stand in the gospel, we need to live by it, and we need to share it with people we know. Thankfully, yesterday, I could look out at some people and know that I've talked to them. I've shared the good news with them. But I don't know about the others. They could be believers. They could believe in the gospel. Most, not likely, but I won't know unless I talk to them. Last week, you may remember, we looked at the first 11 verses of chapter 15 where Paul gave us the gospel message. He said, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and the apostles and to more than 500 And then last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Last week we spent some time looking at the power of the gospel and the effects of the gospel, as well as the gospel message itself. That it's all about Christ, that it really happened. It is a historical fact that Christ died and rose. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ really happened happened. There are some who hear this and don't believe it. They may acknowledge that Jesus Christ was a man who lived 2,000 years ago, that he was a good teacher, even a good role model. He taught morality and good ethics, and we should all strive to be like him and do what he did. If only Christians would stop talking about sin and death and wrath, Take away all the miracles, the virgin birth, the stuff that Jesus said when He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. The stuff in the Bible about morality and ethics, that's good. Keep that. The stuff about kindness and compassion, we want to hear that. Give us more of that. But the Gospel, we want nothing to do with that. Is this book... The Bible, is the Bible only about morality? Is it only about ethical teaching? Or is it about the Son of God? That He stood in the place of sinners and He took on wrath of God for their sake. And then He raised from the grave victorious. Paul says that if this gospel is not true... If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. Most to be pitied? Who would pity Paul and the Corinthians? It would be non-believers who see the effects of this gospel of grace in Paul and the Corinthians. Where God's grace has transformed them, they say, and they are living new lives in Christ, apart from the world. Christians are in the world, but not of the world. Unbelievers pitying Paul and the Christians in Corinth only works if Paul and the Corinthians were living in such a way that would be foolish to live if the gospel were not true. Their lives revolving around something different than non-believers. They were making such sacrifices to call their lives pitiful if they had no future hope. It was not a life that they could say, well, if this, 
If this gospel stuff isn't true, then I'm still happy. I'm still happy with all the sacrifice and the suffering. No, they risk too much for the gospel to say anything like that. Can this be said of us? Can it be said of your life and my life that we are totally banking on the truth of the gospel? That if it weren't true, we should be pitied? Is there real difference in your life? Are you totally dependent on the truth of the gospel? Is that where your joy is found? Is that where your security is grounded You're looking forward to the one day rising with Christ and being with Him. The resurrection of Christ is what you rest in. It being your hope for your resurrection into eternity. This is how Christians live in the world. We live with tomorrow being a day closer to eternity. Spending All the rest of life with God in Christ. Because Christ is risen. And today is about advancing His kingdom by telling of His resurrection. That Jesus rose from the grave. That is what every heart truly longs for. Apparently some of the Corinthians had forgotten this. Paul had preached this to them. He had taught the true reality of the gospel to the Corinthians. Then when he left, others came and started saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. You know, nothing has changed today. Those who are supposedly educated in the modern sciences think Christians are fools. It was the same in Paul's day. Paul said there People said that there is no resurrection of the dead, and they still say that. Once you die, that's it. We might as well look at ourselves like animals and act like them, and we see that all around us today. Some of the Corinthians were arguing that there was no such thing as the resurrection from the dead. And there are two possibilities why that was. In Paul's letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18, Paul said that Hymenaeus and Philetus were teaching that the resurrection already occurred by being born again. There's no way that can be true because the old man is still in us. It still needs to be purged. We can't be near the throne of God until there's a total cleansing of sin. They basically denied the real physical resurrection of a glorious purified body, thus denying the real genuine fellowship with Christ in eternity. That same teaching may have been at Corinth. Others may have thought that eternity is only being spiritual, where our spirits are with Christ. When we die, our bodies go into the ground, and they decay, but our spirit lives on. They believed a freeing of the soul happened. This also denies the imperishable body that will bear the image of God, like in the garden, where believers have been transformed, and they walk, and they talk, and they rejoice with God. So in verses 1 to 11, Paul has given the gospel of which the resurrection of Christ is so essential. 
The body of Christ being risen, His appearing being real proof, and the regeneration of those who are in Christ is for the whole person. The resurrection being crucial for the Christian's future with Christ. Real experience of real joy in a real glorified body that worships the risen Savior. Now this morning, beginning in verse 12, we see Paul ask a question about some of the Corinthians who were denying the resurrection. Then in verses 13 to 19, he demolishes their false belief by stating disastrous consequences if there is no resurrection from the dead. And he gives eight of them. Then he answers his own question in verse 20, which counters their false belief and confirms the good news of the gospel of Jesus. The resurrection of Christ must be true for sins to be forgiven, for us to be raised with Him, and for this new life that we now live in Christ to be a foretaste of what's to come. This passage tells us that denying Christ's resurrection from the dead rejects the glorious future that He provides. Denying Christ's resurrection from the dead rejects the glorious future that He provides. If we deny Christ's resurrection, then all hope that we have goes away. It's like grass in front of a blower when you mow your lawn and you go to blow it. That's what it will be like if there is no resurrection. With Christ's resurrection, there are two possibilities. If the resurrection is denied, there's a miserable result, Paul says. If the resurrection is believed and we depend on Christ's resurrection, then there's an unshakable blessing to hold on to as we minister to each other and we share the gospel with unbelievers. We're going to look at those possibilities this morning. First, we're going to look at those eight horrible, disastrous consequences if there is no resurrection. And then because we know in verse 20 that Christ has been raised from the dead, He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, we're going to then look at six glorious, life-giving, life-altering implications. These six glorious implications give believers our charge and our hope to reject the world's lies, to submit to Christ and give our all and live for Him no matter what, to endure it all while we wait for Him to come. Let's look at them. You know, Paul's argument is really quite simple. It's incredibly clear. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then he gives eight disastrous consequences. One after the other, they're all falling like dominoes. He says later in verse 32, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If the dead are not raised, we might as well live it up today and stop sacrificing and avoid suffering for Jesus. We might as well seek the same things that I heard about yesterday, all the temporary things. We might as well just join them. So many other people are consumed with this life as if there is no resurrection from the dead. Beginning in verse 13, Paul gives the first disastrous consequence. If there is no resurrection of the dead, he said, Christ is not raised. 
If resurrection cannot happen, then it did not happen to Christ. That means that life, the life of Christ would die, would end, the life of Christ would end with Him dying on the cross. Death would not be defeated. It is still an enemy of God. And God would not have victory. And if God can't have victory, then He's not sovereign. His providence is a pipe dream, and His promise of future grace is baseless. The second horrible consequence of denying the resurrection is in verse 14. Paul says that preaching is in vain. It's empty. It's hollow. Nothing of real substance. It would be given without effect. Christian preaching is only valid and worth listening to if the resurrection it's founded on really happened. There's only power in preaching if God is powerful enough to raise the dead, to turn deadness into true life. If God can do the supernatural raising of the dead, then preaching is worth it. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time week after week if there's no resurrection. That means I gave up a good career for nothing if the dead are not raised. There's a downward spiral here. If preaching is in vain, then so is faith. This is the third consequence of resurrection. Your faith is in vain if it's not real. If there's no resurrection, then there's nothing to believe in. There's nothing to trust in. There's nothing to hold on to. No assurance for you. If Jesus wasn't raised, there's no hope for you to be raised. How dreadful it is to believe in something that's not true. One scholar describes the resurrection like a linchpin. If it did not occur, then preaching and faith tumble like a house of cards. There's no support at all. It's baseless. But worse, fourth, preachers are false witnesses if there's no resurrection. Not only would I be wasting my time, I would be telling you lies. If there's no resurrection, then preachers misrepresent God and the judgment we speak of would be upon us. In Proverbs 19.5, it says, A false witness will not go unpunished. And he who breathes out lies will not escape. Four verses later, the first line is repeated again. A false witness will not go unpunished. If Christ was not raised, then every time that Paul preached, he would heap judgment upon himself. And every time Anton and I stand up here, we do the same. Fifth, if there's no resurrection, then verse 17 says, your faith is in vain. It's worthless. If you think you can deny the resurrection and still have faith in Jesus Christ that God saves, you're either crazy or you're foolish. Faith is useless if Christ was not raised from the dead. Since you profess to receive new life, there can't be new life if Christ didn't have it. Then your profession has nothing left, does it? We might as well stop dying to ourselves. And even worse, the message that Paul gives in verse 3 that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that message fails. Everyone is still in their sins. That's the sixth one. You face God's judgment without a Redeemer, without someone to save you. Since faith justifies you without the resurrection of God, 
God will condemn you in your sin. Christ's resurrection has to be if you are to be saved. This is why he died on the cross, to save you from God's judgment. He only atones for your sin if he was raised from the grave. That's what he proves. That's what proves he was an effective substitute to overcome your sin, is that he was raised from the grave. Seventh, if there's no resurrection, then those who have died have perished. If Christ was not raised, that means he perished. And those who claim to be in him, they also have perished. Those who've fallen asleep will be dead like he is. There would be no further existence because Christ would have no further existence. Everything about the Christian faith, everything about the Christian rises and falls with Christ. If Christ has risen, then the Christian will one day rise and be with Him. If Christ is still in the grave, then Christianity is in the grave. It's worthless. A dead Christ means no forgiveness, no salvation, no promise of future grace to hang on to, no reason to live and sacrifice for His sake. Paul says plainly in verse 19, the eighth consequence, Christians are the most to be pitied if Christ does not provide hope beyond this life. The hope that Christians rely on, the assurance, the assurance that the believer has is what Christ has done on their behalf. Not only does the Christian believe that Christ died on the cross for them, We believe that He rose from the grave for us, conquering sin and death. That according to Philippians 3.10, believers will know the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that we may attain the resurrection from the dead. In other places, Paul talks of an eternal weight of glory that awaits believers who sacrifice and suffer for Christ's sake. They are only light and momentary afflictions because eternal glory awaits believers. That's only true if there's a resurrection from the dead, if there's an afterlife. This is not so if there's no resurrection. What the Christian experiences in this life, Paul says, is not worth to the comparing of glory that will be revealed in us. But no glory will be revealed if there's no resurrection that provides the new life for glory. If no raising of the dead, then waiting for the Son from heaven to rescue believers from coming wrath would be for nothing. Believers' adoption into the family of God and redemption of their bodies would be ludicrous. All that the Christian is would be a farce. It would be a lie if there's no resurrection. These present sacrificings and sufferings that we endure would be a waste. And Christians would miss out on life and still lose eternal life with no future hope or peace or joy. That is truly the most pitiful state to be in. There'd be no point to live for Christ. We could give no reason for following Him. What would we say 
to those who want to enjoy themselves and be frivolous. Their way of enjoying themselves wouldn't matter. All the decadence, all the self-absorption and excess would be justified. If all people do is live and then die, why sacrifice at all? Why avoid the self-indulging appetites? There's no resurrection. There's no future. Death is the end. So why not live it up now? Why go through difficulty and hardship? Why die to ourselves and look to a Savior? Why not join the people yesterday who were completely into themselves? Because finally we read in verse 20 that Christ has in fact been raised from the dead. Here is the Christian's comfort. Here's what we look forward to right here in verse 20. Here's our future hope. Here's why our lives in Christ and why we wait for Him. This is why we're dependent on Jesus and His grace. Paul describes Jesus' resurrection appearing to more than 500 witnesses, including himself, before his ascension into heaven. The Christian faith is not baseless. It's not a blind faith. It does not rest on an old-fashioned, outdated belief. It rests on the shoulders of our risen Savior. There are six glorious implications of this. Six glorious truths to hold on to, never let go. Because Jesus has been resurrected, He rose from the grave. First, preaching is not in vain. But it's the most important message the world will ever hear. There's power in the sermon today because God has the power to raise the dead he had the power to raise Jesus, and He has the power to raise all those who don't believe and raise them up with Christ. Every week, that power is working through preaching of His Word into your heart and strengthening you, preserving you, enabling you to be set apart. Or it's chipping away at your hard heart. And God is using it to open your eyes to see His glory. It also means that if you believe in Jesus Christ, then your faith is not in vain or worthless, but it's the most precious thing you possess. Everything the world works for and strives for does not compare to what believers have. Your faith, given by God's grace, has given you life in Jesus Christ to be with Him forever. Third, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means gospel-centered preachers are not false witnesses of God, but they tell the truth of God earnestly and plainly. It means gospel-centered preachers are to be trusted when they talk of Christ and His gospel message. It means there's something to hear and learn when the sermon is given. It means you should focus on God's Word and ensure you know what God is saying. And it means that the doctrines of the faith are worth learning and growing in. God uses the preaching of His Word to enthrall you with who He is and to fill you with truth. Through the preaching of His Word, He turns your affections and your desires toward Him. It means He shines His light on you and His grace works miracles in your heart every time you hear the gospel message. 
A miracle is occurring as you receive the good news and you're transformed and the old man for believers is getting purged from you. And non-believers, their eyes are opening and hearts are being filled. Fourth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means believers are not still in our sins. But we have been forgiven and are being cleansed of every sin. Those who have repented and believe in Jesus, those who depend on Jesus to rescue them, they are saved at this very moment from all judgment. Every time wrath and judgment is spoken of, we say, thank you, Jesus. God, who has the power to raise His Son, has the power to remove all sin from you, and He's doing it for His people. Fifth, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished, but are present with the Lord this moment, enjoying His glory. What an indescribable future every Christian has. We are promised the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore in the full presence of Christ. Those who have gone before us are enjoying Him right now. And when God deems it right for it to be our turn, we will be received into His arms for all eternity. And number six, the reality of all this, the sad reality, The sad reality is that those who do not have hope in Christ are of all men the most to be pitied. They will have to face God alone. He is all-consuming. There is no way around Him. You can't avoid Him. He is the beginning and the end and everything in between. He is awesome, and they will face Him with nothing to shield them. They are in wrong relationship with God and they will never be right until they repent of their sin and believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead to take away their sin. For followers of Jesus Christ, it is no sacrifice to live for Christ. It's no sacrifice because His resurrection means believers will be resurrected in the next life. Believers have indestructible joy in this life. They have joy regardless of what they're facing because Jesus awaits for them in glory. If you are a believer, if you're a believer this morning, rest in Jesus Christ this morning. He is your refuge. The power of God that rose Jesus from the grave That same power and grace and love is working for you this very moment. Knowing that your faith is not in vain. He is risen and He has you and He's keeping you and He will hold you forever. If you should die before His coming, your life in this world ends. But your eternity with the risen Savior begins. Let's pray.